This podcast contains real talk about the mayhem of motherhood, along with a weekly medical mystery. Because all of these topics can be pretty graphic, and because we use explicit language, listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Motherhood, Mayhem, and Medical Mysteries podcast. On this show, we are not attempting to solve the major medical mysteries of the world or tell you how to raise your kids. We are definitely not doctors or scientists of any kind. We are just two moms here to provide you with support, resources, and maybe a few laughs along the way. We do a lot of research and will definitely share the things we learn, but please talk to a professional if you have specific concerns about your experiences. Here's Melanie. She has a Demogorgon in her front yard. Here's Miranda. She once wore a pair of maternity pants for at least a year and a half. I'm I'm looking at the wistful look on your face. You you miss the maternity pants, don't I, you? I really do. They were they were like shapewear for me, you know? They came up so high and they tucked in my tummy. <laughs> they held everything in place and they were smooth in the front so you don't get that bump from from where your button is, you know? I loved those pants. I mean, I was very familiar with them. They were actually mine. They were yours. Oh, I know. Yeah, you knew them well. But you had like a repulsion of all of your pregnancy clothes. Remember that? You were like, I I never want to see them. I never want to wear them again. And I was like, I'm just going to live in these from now on. (laughs) Yeah, we had two very different reactions. I viscerally like wanted to burn all of them. (laughs) You really did. Especially that gray skirt. Oh, yeah, yeah. But see, I Mm. wore the gray skirt for like, I mean, Fisher was like two years old. I'm carrying him around on my hip in in the gray skirt. (laughs) Anyway, okay, so what have you been up to today? So I put out my fall stuff today. I put out my fall stuff. I did not put a Demogorgon in my front yard like you did, but I... Well, I mean... uh I'll be honest, they're kind of hard to get your hands on, so just be <laughs> did warned. You, did you find it online or did you find it in the store? It's actually a Walmart. It oh, is wow. a licensed Stranger Things Demogorgon, wow. but I had to order it online like you couldn't get it mm. locally. It's it's so. really cool because, you know, to, to younger generations, they're going to know what it is, but older generations, when they drive by, they're going to think it's like Audrey 2 from Little Shop of Horrors. So it really kind of yeah. covers all the spectrums. It's got definitely that Venus flytrap thing going on. Sure does. Yeah, it's good. I like it. I'm into it. I'm glad that you are. But yeah, I I went to Hobby Lobby, which I have a funny story about that. Because I just wanted to get like my fall stuff. I wanted to get my porch looking cute in the back. So I wanted to get like a new outdoor rug for my porch. And I got some fabric to recover my chairs on the back porch. I got, of course, you know, you get the little fall trinkets that you put out on your shelf, Mm -hmm. you know, that aren't too cheesy. You don't get the cheesy ones. But I found some that were like pretty cute. And I needed, and this is like, this is one of my new things that I do. I didn't used to be this way, but something has happened to me within the last two years. And I'm really into like seasonal hand soaps. So like in the bathroom. Yeah, I'm that girl. I'm that girl. So it's like, and I I hate to be that girl because I was never that girl. You know, I mean, I mean, be careful. Many people are that girl and, and that, and that's fine. Mm -hmm. 
Yep. I just, I buy the same soap all year round and I get it in a very large container and right? I refill. It's very That's economical. It's very economical to do it that way. I used to do it that way. But now it's like, oh, it's fall. You know, I want to be able to like smell my hands, you know, like superstar, smell my hands and like, you know, it's apples and it's autumn and it's, yeah. It's a I understand, but so many smells give me headaches. This like, is true. I, you, I can't. You would have not wanted to be over here because I had all the candles going. I bought the candles. I had all the fall candles going. I had to get in the spirit, you know? I had to get in the spirit. Yes. So. I understand. I understand. And it's hard when it's 80 degrees out. <laughs> That's true. That's true. You got to work a little harder, you gotta right? Force. You got to put more effort it. into it. But let me tell you what happened to me at Hobby Lobby because this was a mess. And I love Hobby Lobby, and you know that. But I had made... well, I mean, I have issues with their corporate policies, but we won't go on. Well, to that yeah, I, I have some issues there as well. But as far as the store itself and what they have, and what their you prices, can buy there, I, I get it. I'm I'm into it. I'm into it, and I I feel like you know they've got a good selection of things. So and it's always you know pretty reasonably priced. So I had you know kind of this random assortment of fall stuff I wanted to get done. I had my little list put together, and also uh, my my husband parents are in town so we're gonna do a big barbecue football thing so I needed to get like some paper plates and some things for us to put you know the chips and dips and you know I got to get a couple of little things serving dishes serving dishes and stuff thank you so I go to Hobby Lobby I'm meandering around everything is wonderful and I'm so enjoying myself because I even stopped and got a coffee on the way so of course decaf but I'm I'm enjoying this moment of just embracing the fall and I'm getting all this stuff and I'm filling up my cart I got a mat for the kitchen fall hand towels for the kitchen and then I got a little drying mat to put my dishes on that I hand wash to match the floor mat because <laughs> because what I had was like pineapples and lemon slices and it was very summer so I had to change it yeah, right and okay. then I had to get my soaps and I had to get my candles and I had to get my rug for out back this sounds really expensive it's starting to get expensive and I told myself in my head I'm like this is probably going to be close to $200 it's probably going to be okay. close to $200 but I'm also telling myself I'm also getting the serving dishes and the the things that I'll be able to use and that's the thing is right. it's like you know the fall decorations you get a little bit every year and you put them away and then you pull them back out next year anyway and the rug for outside and i should mention you know everything is on sale except for the rug and the fabric now the rug was like 62.99 so it was kind of expensive but i know that i needed it and it was the color that i wanted that's not too bad though i mm-hmm. mean the rugs are expensive yeah especially the ones you have to put outside they're like outdoor mm-hmm. and all of that so i have this huge cart full of stuff and i get up to the the cash register and the poor girl working there god bless her it must be her second day because she is slow as molasses and the thing about hobby lobby that i also disagree with is the fact that they don't scan anything. Everything is entered in by hand. Have you noticed this? No, I'll be honest. I've only been to Hobby Lobby like two times in my life and I was with my mom. I didn't buy anything. They do not have a scanner. They key it in. They key key it in. in. Yep. 
Yep. So they put in and they they put in the price and then they put in if there's a discount and then they put in the quantity. Oh, no, that's very inefficient. Agreed. But she's putting it all in, you know, 7.99 times three for my candles. Then it's the next thing. This is painful. 11.99 times four for my hand soaps or whatever it is. So she's punching all of this in. It's taking forever and as i'm standing there the line behind me is getting longer and longer and longer and again i had a full cart i had a full cart so i knew this was going to be a minute so i'm kind of nobody's coming to help are they nobody's coming to help was another problem and uh and i'm sensing you know when you get in a situation like that and you sense the agitation of the people behind you and and i'm gonna flip the cards a little bit because you know when i really think about it when i do my little CBT exercise here. If I'm the person that's waiting behind the person with the really full cart, I'm usually not that irritated because I'm like, they were here before me. This is what I signed up for. Like, I mean, you knew what you were getting into. Right. So it's not like I'm annoyed at that person because they have to make their purchase just like I do. They just happen to have a whole lot, hell of a whole lot more stuff than I have. But anyway, so I, nevertheless, here I go. We're scanning all the stuff and not scanning or not scanning. She's Keying it all in. And she turns to me and she's like, that'll be $740. No, ma'am. Seven, four, zero decimals. No, seven, four, zero. I'm like, come again. And she's like, $740. And I'm looking at the cart and all the stuff that we just bagged up. And I'm like, oh, my God my math is really bad. And had I been fully coherent, had I been fully coherent, it would have been my first instinct to ask this lady, are you sure that's correct? <laughs> There's a lot of manual entry right. happening over here. However, I was not fully coherent because I was at maximum agitation level an anxiety level because there's all these people in the line behind me and this is taking so long and I'm feeling so overwhelmed. And, and so I just throw my hands up. I'm like, I can't get all of this. I can't, I'm not about to spend $740 at Hobby Lobby. Like I'm, I I have to put some of this back. So then we, I start handing her back the candles and handing her back the soaps. And I'm like, "I, I guess I don't need this. I can put this away. I don't really need this one. I don't need this one. And again, I, I should have said, you know, are you sure that's right? So here we go. We're handing things back. Turns out she had scanned the $62 rug that was or not entered on it. Sale. She had entered she- it. Yes, that's right. She had entered the $62 rug that was not on sale or not marked down. She had entered it four times. Four times. Well, so there you go. Is, that's like $70 times four. Seven times four is what? Plus tax. It would be like 300 and something. So that was the problem. She had scanned the rug that many times. And so anyway, it was this whole big rigmarole. Now everybody in the line is like really getting flustered. I'm turning to them and apologizing for this because it had literally, it turned into like a 15 minute ordeal at the register. And seven of that was just keying in all of these little items that I got. So of course, by the time she had corrected everything and entered everything correctly, we were down to like 282 I think is what I ended up paying 
still a lot more than what you wanted to spend. Still a lot more, but I justified it because I just so. Well, because you were so desperate to get out of there at that point that you would pay anything short of seven hundred dollars it was it was insane it was like the most crazy thing i'd ever seen could you imagine spending seven hundred and forty dollars at a craft store I hope that those candles are having a calming effect on you. You better go wash, <laughs> go your wash hands my hands a few times. Try to settle myself <laughs> down over here. So, what's our medical mystery today? I'm excited. Well, I always try to make things correlate to the time of year. Today, we are going to talk about the flu, technically, influenza. Because, well, I'll get to it in just a second. I'm going to tell you when the flu season is in the U.S. (laughs) But for those of you who live under a rock and are unaware, flu or influenza is a contagious respiratory illness caused by a group of viruses. So it is viral. Mm -hmm. And these particular viruses infect our nose, throat, and sometimes lungs. It can vary dramatically. Mm -hmm. Like it can be very mild or it can be very serious. Mm -hmm. Flu season in the U.S. Miranda, any ideas when flu season is? I think it's probably going to start around late September. Well, I looked, it depends on who you ask, but uh, I was, I think I was on the CDC website and it said that the flu activity often begins to increase in October. Okay. So, Technically speaking, there is flu activity year-round, but it kind of starts to pick up its game in October. Gotcha. It typically peaks sometime between December and February. And and I looked at a bunch of studies from past years. Mm -hmm. Like, a lot of times, it seems like most years it's February. Wow. However, interesting fact, since COVID, the timing and duration of flu activity in the United States has been much less predictable. Interesting. I'm sure all of the uh, science folks are not happy about that. Yeah, yeah. I had no idea that it was so, I guess, like late in the winter, like February. Oh, my gosh. I thought flu was like at its main peak, probably like November, December. That's crazy nope, that it's so much all later. All the way into February. Wow. <laughs> so when you think of flu, what do you think of as far as symptoms are feeling concerned? Feeling like shit. Feeling like a bag of shit. That's what the flu feels like. It's the worst. Body aches, fever, all of that. Did, did any of the, the papers that you read, did any of them say, you will feel like shit? <laughs> No, not in those words, (laughs) but I kind of felt like that's what they were getting at. Oh, it's the worst. Oftentimes, it does include a fever, although not everyone, but even folks who don't have a fever usually have that, like, chills feeling. Right. That I I hate hate that feeling. Oh, it's so bad. Yep. And you know you're sick when that sets in. You can just feel it. Like, it'll hit you, like, in in the middle of a totally normal day, and you're like, oh, no. You're like, I'm sick. I'm sick. That's not good. Got got the virus. (laughs) So fever, feverish chills, cough, sore throat, runny or stuffy nose, muscle or body aches, Mm -hmm. headaches, fatigue. Very few people, Mm -hmm. but some, do have vomiting and diarrhea, which is more common in children. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, 
my grandmother, when she would say, oh, no, she's got the flu, mm-hmm. she meant like a stomach bug. Did anybody in your, is that just very? Yeah, I mean, st- I feel like we always called it a stomach flu. Like it's a stomach flu. Yeah, that's not actually a thing. It's not that's influenza. Not yeah, no. yeah. It has nothing to do with influenza. That makes sense. The flu, not at all a stomach bug. It's purely respiratory. Mm. And per Miranda's words, you will feel like shit. You sure will. In summary, you want to take a guess how the flu spreads. We have talked about several illnesses that spread this same way. I'm going to guess respiratory droplets. Respiratory droplets. Ding, 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 ding. I got it right. Ding, ding, ding. (laughs) It is respiratory droplets. Yes, which can get on everything. Everything. When you cough, when you sneeze, when you talk. When you touch Uh, a surface and somebody comes behind you and and touches it. How long can it live on a surface? Did you find out? You know, I did not find that because I know we've talked about that before. Yeah. But I gathered from what I was reading that it doesn't last as long. I think it was at RSV that we were talking about. It was like six, six hours, hours or yeah, something crazy. RSV. Mm-hmm. This actually says in all the literature that I was reading, it said it's most often spread directly from the respiratory droplets, but less often if a person touches a surface or something that someone who's infected has touched. So I gather that it doesn't live as long. I it see, must have yeah. a, a shorter shelf life. <laughs> Literally. On the shelf. <laughs> the shelf I just life touched the, the shelf. shelf. Don't come near it. <laughs> I sneezed hey, on it. What it? <laughs> I sneezed on this shelf. <laughs> okay. I always try to touch on this too, like the period of contagiousness, mm-hmm. which I know that we all got like really aware of that during the COVID pandemic because yes. you could be exposed and not know you were exposed. Right. And, and then like and all five days later, then you could get sick, but it could be 14 days later. Oh, man. Yeah. It's like really just screwing up it's our just whole malicious because yeah. we just don't even know. Everything that I read says, is that while you can spread it before you know you're sick, mm-hmm. that's not nearly as likely as it is with some other mm-hmm. illnesses or okay. maybe just like a day before you know you're sick. Okay. Like, so it doesn't have like a big long window where you're like typhoid Mary. Yeah, typhoid Mary. <laughs> It's not a long period. Like you're going to very quickly know that you are sick. I'm going to go as Typhoid Mary for Halloween. <laughs> I think that's a great costume. I really want to go as the Radium Girls, but that's a whole separate thing. But Oh, that's a good anyway, one too. So people with the flu are contagious for the first three to four days that they're ill. And that's pretty much it. Like if you are sick and then it's a week later, you're not going to get anybody else sick. With all of these illnesses that we've discussed, especially the viruses, obviously people with weakened immune systems, elderly or very young, are more susceptible to Mm, getting these illnesses. So say you're exposed. Say I coughed on that shelf and you touched it. How no. soon are you going to get sick? No, I would guess like probably the next day. It's a 
says about two days typically. Oh, okay. So okay. there, there is like, you know, all of these things have little variables to them. Of course, the biggest concern with flu is that it can turn into something more complicated. Right. Like people end up with sinus pneumonia. infections, pneumonia, ear infections. And that's particularly dangerous for people who have like congestive heart failure or asthma or other conditions oh, that, sure. that can make them sick. Yeah. Now, the main thing that you're going to do if you have the flu, like if you or I have the flu and we're otherwise healthy and we don't have any other conditions, you're just going to manage symptoms. You're just going to lay around and watch Netflix until that, you that's what you're going to do. Feeling like you can get off the couch. Yeah. You're going to hope <laughs> somebody takes mercy on you and drops off a big pot of chicken soup. Uh-huh. And you're going to try to make yourself eat it because you don't even want that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then you're going to take Tylenol and ibuprofen, you know. And you're going to keep probably a box of tissues <laughs> within arm's length. Yeah. <laughs> and and definitely like a blanket because sometimes you're going to want it and then you're going to be burning up and then you're going to want it again and then you're going to be burning up and it's it's back and forth. It's the worst. I hate that part. 100%. That's the worst part to me is like you said, it's those fevery, chilly feelings. I mm-hmm. hate that. I hate that. Ugh. I hate it too. The aches that go with it as well. Oh, gosh. There are antivirals. The one that I think of, which of course, all of the sources I was using were being careful not to name names of companies and all of that kind of stuff, because I I try to stay neutral. But Tamiflu is what I remember in my mind is what people can get. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing about that, and I'm sure there are other antiviral drugs, is if you start it within one to two days after your symptoms start, Mm -hmm. then it'll make a difference. But if you don't know that you have the flu until like day three, it's not going to help. Uh-oh. I think it's too late. The virus is already rampant in your body. If you do take it at the beginning, a lot of times it just makes your symptoms more mild. Mm-hmm. And then for people who are you know, prone to getting more ill, it would hopefully stop them from ending up in the hospital or, or that kind of thing. Oh, wow. So that that can be a game changer, you know, that can, for, it, for it, those can, folks. If they can yeah. keep you out of the hospital, that's significant. Now, I started to read up on this. So that I could teach us all about the different strains of flu. It got very complex and was so over my head that I was lost in the note. <laughs> so the one thing that I want everybody to realize is that there is a crew of people who are working very hard and doing lots of research to figure out what flu strain is going to be the most prevalent that year. The it's it's uh the the flu crew I think is what they're called. We'll call them the flu crew. I like that. Yeah. So there's two main types. There's an influenza A and an influenza B. That is the most overly simplified way to say that. So essentially, what they're doing is they're doing studies. They're studying trends and different things to figure out what is going to be the influenza A that year. What's going to be the B, and then hmm. that's how they create the vaccine. So is a, the most common and B is like the runner up. That is the idea is that they're going to find the two most likely. They don't always get it 100% right. right. Sometimes they'll get one right. Sometimes they won't get either right. 
Not to say that the ones that they guess are not around, but they mm-hmm. end up not being the most prevalent. Gotcha. Is, is kind of the gist of it. Because but that's like good I said, to know. You know, that's good to know is it's like your vaccine, you can get it, but it still isn't going to be a guarantee that that's going to be the the strain, I guess, that would be most likely <laughs> that you would most likely right. get. Right. I mean, there's a lot of guesswork in this whole situation because it's one of these things that comes and goes. That's that's why we leave that to the flu crew because they, they know sure what do. to do. God bless the flu crew. Mm-hmm. Now, I did want to say something about how common it is. So there's a bunch of different studies out there. The last big one was actually prior to COVID. I couldn't find one since. Obviously, all resources have gone to studying COVID. Mm, sure. But there was a CDC study that was published in 2018. And the average amount of people who are affected by flu each year is about 8%. You know, that's a pretty good chunk of the population. 8% of all people? Of all people, this is a United States statistic, but yes. Wow. Of those people, children are the most likely to get the flu. So of the 8% on average, it's most often people between the ages of 0 and 17. Interestingly, Mm -hmm. people 65 and older are the least likely to get it. What? So I thought that yeah, really? that only it's 3.9% of adults 65 and older get the flu. These are all median values and there's a lot of complexity sure. that goes into all of this, but it's a lot of people is all it's I have to say. A lot of people. And most of those you said are kids. A majority are kids. So, as I was doing all of this research and I tried very hard to stay away from very slanted sources because I always do that. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's a lot of conspiracy theorists when it comes to vaccines and all of that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was kind of like, well, why do we make such a big deal about this whole flu thing? I wanted to get to the meat and potatoes of that. Do you know why? Why do we make such a big deal about the flu? It was this little thing. That is often referred to as the mother of all pandemics. It occurred around the world between the years of 1918 and 1919. It was an H1N1 influenza pandemic. Oh, wow. And listen to these statistics. Oh, no. Oh, no. It went around the world. Isn't H1N1 swine flu, though? Flu. I think it's the swine flu. Well, you know how complicated that all gets because it's probably got a bunch of other numbers in there that they just put the H1N1 as the top choice. Oh, nope. Swine swine flu's H3N2. Never mind. See, H1N1 is influenza. Okay. So the 1918 (laughs) H1N1 influenza pandemic is estimated to have infected 500 million people worldwide. Oh, my goodness gracious. Oh, my goodness gravy. 500 million people? 500 million people. Oh, my gosh. And it killed between 20 and 50 million. Wow. So not only was it like super... I guess, prevalent, it was also pretty dang deadly to kill that many people. Absolutely. So the resulting death rates were so high 
that world life expectancy rates dropped by several years because of it. Wow. More people were thought to have died from the flu pandemic than over the course of the entirety of World War One. Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. So this is what brought flu to like, whoa, flu. Yeah, that's that's when the flu crew assembled. That was <laughs> For, the first crew 1.0. <laughs> Good grief. Even while that was going on, researchers in the United States, obviously, and in Europe were racing to find an effective vaccination against influenza Mm -hmm. because they're realizing that this pandemic is insane. Right. And they produced hundreds of thousands of doses, Mm -hmm. but they were targeting the wrong pathogen. Oh, no. The initial flu crew, I mean, they were working with 1918 technology. Yeah, like I think they just learned how to pasteurize like a couple weeks before that. So it was. I mean, they didn't. They weren't. There were no antibiotics. Yeah. So I thought that that was really interesting. What I wanted to kind of establish was the difference between like the ordinary flu, like we'll call it ordinary flu. That's not a very scientific term, but (laughs) the ordinary flu is the flu that occurs every year. Like we talked about during the winter, usually. Yeah. Um, It affects about 10% of the population. It's unpleasant, but in most cases, not life threatening. You know, there is a vaccination available every year and there are antiviral drugs. Now, a pandemic flu, like the 1918 flu pandemic, there's some differences. So it has occurred four times. There has been a pandemic flu four times in the past 100 years, which I did not realize. I didn't know that either. It can occur any time of the year. So it doesn't have anything to do with the ordinary flu. It can occur anytime. Mm. It's a more serious situation for everyone. Every age is at serious risk. It would happen so quickly that a vaccine most likely wouldn't be available at the Mm -hmm. beginning of the pandemic. And you know, the supply chain and all of that kind of stuff, Miranda, speak in your language, the supply chain (laughs) would not be in place. They would not have, they wouldn't have what they need. And antivirals would be very limited supply. And again, probably affected by supply chain. The four pandemics that have occurred were 1918, 1957, 1968, and 2009. It has been predicted that another pandemic will happen, although they can't say exactly when. So it's Mm. one of those things. Obviously, if it does happen or when, I guess, is probably a better way to say it when it does happen. Right. There are going to be a lot of people that are sick. There's going to be a huge demand for health services and in an American healthcare system that's already a hot mess. And it will disrupt the lives of many of us. And of course, there will be many deaths, which all sounds scary. So I wanted to say this, and this is just the nerd me. When you think about that and you like, I don't want anybody to get scared about another pandemic, but we need to be realistic. Like this yeah. is probably going to happen. Yeah. How fast did that spread was my question. Like in 1918, all these people, it's a staggering yeah, amount yeah. of people who got it and died. That flu pandemic made it across the United States within a month. Can you imagine how quickly oh it would gosh. get from one side of the country to the other now? Oh, my goodness. Well, I mean, the world, it could be completely around the world in a matter of hours. 
hours just with air travel alone. Like, but even so, even in those times for it to go across the entire United States in a month, that's pretty crazy. I thought so. Wow. So I wanted to end my segment by talking about some myths about influenza. Now, I will admit when we're talking about this, we're talking about the ordinary flu, not the scary pandemic flu. The first myth, influenza is not serious, so I do not need the vaccine. (laughs) Here's a statistic for you. Well, (laughs) as many as 650,000 people a year die of the ordinary flu. That's a lot of people. Well, and especially it's like you said, if you are at any kind of risk or have any other underlying health conditions or any pre-existing situations, you are at greater risk and it could be a whole lot worse if you do get it. A hundred percent. Next myth. And I have heard many people say this. Okay. I'm not going to get the flu vaccine because the last time I got it, it gave me the flu. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've, I've heard that too. I, I may have said that before, but. <laughs> it, it, yeah, no, it did not. The <laughs> vaccine that they create every year is injected flu vaccine contains inactivated viruses. So it cannot give you the flu. As with any vaccine, you might feel like a little bit achy or something, but that is simply your immune system kicking in with the vaccine and doing what it's supposed to do. What it's supposed to do because it's supposed to, we should do a whole medical mystery on how vaccines work because it's, uh, it's meant to train your immune system. Here's what you do if this foreign entity comes into your body. This is it. This is your drill practice. It's like the fire drill in school. You know, you hope you never have to use it, but it's good to know where the exits are in case of an emergency. Exactly. That's all it is. That's all it is, people. (laughs) Next myth, and I have heard many people say this, I'm not getting the flu vaccine because it can cause really bad side effects. My cousin's uncle's brother's sister, blah, 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 (laughs) fill in the blank. Yeah, my cousin's uncle's brother's sister had some issues too, though. (laughs) Yeah, well, they tend to because I think they're related to themselves. I'm not sure, but... (laughs) And anyway, that's a whole different story. (laughs) The flu vaccine has been proven to be safe. Severe side effects are extremely rare. The one you hear about a lot, and I have heard several people talk about it, is Guillain-Barre syndrome. Oh, yeah, I've heard that too. Okay. Here's the statistic on how many people get Guillain-Barre from the flu vaccine. One in every one million. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. low. Yeah, that's, that's pretty, pretty low. low. Okay. Okay. Myth number four. I had the vaccine and still got the flu, so I know it doesn't work. Well, that goes back to the flu crew. Maybe maybe they picked the wrong concoction that year. And I mean, they're doing the best they can. It's, how right. do you know? Well, here's the fact to that myth. Several flu viruses are circulating at the same time every year. So, of course, people can still get the flu, even if they've been vaccinated, because it could be a different strain. Mm -hmm. However, being vaccinated improves the chance of being protected from the flu. So, obviously, if you have the shot, you are even less likely to get 
the flu. This is especially important, like being vaccinated is especially important to stop the virus from affecting people with vulnerable immune systems. So we end up in a COVID situation where the whole idea is if everybody gets vaccinated, then we're going to protect the people who are most vulnerable. Right. It's a group effort. Yeah. We're all in this together. My final myth, myth number five, which I'm sure will be pertinent to some of our listeners. I am pregnant, so I shouldn't get the flu vaccine. Mm. This actually says pregnant women should especially Mm -hmm. get the flu vaccine because pregnancy causes our immune systems to be much weaker Mm -hmm. than usual. The inactivated flu vaccine, which they all are inactivated flu, is safe at any stage of pregnancy. Yeah. And that's, you know, I'll speak to that one personally, because I am typically not the person who does get the flu vaccine. I usually just don't. I mean, I don't like shots. I don't like, I'm just not into it. It's not my thing. But when I was pregnant, my OBGYN was like, you got to get it. I really want you to get it. You really need to get it. La, 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 la. Flu is going to be bad this year, blah, blah, blah. And anyway, I ended up getting it when I was pregnant because she talked me into it. Well, you were pregnant through all of the flu Mm -hmm. season. Yep. Because, you know, Fisher was born in April. So if it peaked in February, Mm -hmm. I mean, well, you were pregnant for like a year. (laughs) Mama could have been feeling really bad. So, yeah. yeah. Well, and and your your attitude towards the flu vaccine is not uncommon. The National Foundation of Infectious Diseases commissioned a survey, and this just came out. This is very recent, where they were taking into account the attitudes of people in the United States towards how serious respiratory diseases are. It's actually a really interesting study, and I'll give you some information on the website and all of that later. But 65% of Americans agree that the annual flu vaccination is the best preventative measure against flu-related hospitalizations and death in the U.S. But 43% say that they do not plan to get it because they don't want to. Wow. So 60% say it's good, but 40% say they're not going to get it. 65% Mm. agree that it is the best preventative measure out there, but Mm. 43% are not going to get it. And the top reasons cited are the over 30% of them are concerned about side effects. Mm -hmm. 30% don't trust vaccines. 25% don't think vaccines work very well. And then 20, 25% are concerned about getting sick from the vaccine. So everybody's like, oh, well, we know that it would be best to get it, but like, we're not gonna, cause like, I don't trust that guy. <laughs> so, oh, we are people and we are all hypocrites. Are we not? We, we absolutely <laughs> are. But I, I did think that was very interesting. Yeah. Obviously I'm not telling anybody what to do about whether or not they should get a vaccine, but you know, look at the facts. We disproved many of the myths, actually the most common ones that I usually hear from people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Y'all consider it because that flu crew is working hard out there trying to make sure that we can be protected. And protect the people who are most vulnerable. 100%. 
Miranda, I didn't even look ahead on the chart. What are you teaching me about today? Yes, I'll I'll give you I'll give you a guess. What do you think it is? I've been on a whole I've been on a whole kick lately. I mean, I felt like Piaget might be out of stages. Yeah. He's not out of stages. There's one more stage to go and I would be, you know, just I I would not be a finisher or a completer if I didn't do the last one. So I've got to so, so this is it. The the Piaget finale? It is the Mamma Jamma, the Piaget finale. Okay, let's do it. What's it called? How many circles of hell are involved? <laughs> no circles of hell. Those are only for the itty bitty babies because it is hellacious when you have an itty yeah, bitty baby. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Okay, so we're talking about the last of Piaget's four stages. And you can remember four... Four, the number four. It's the formal operational stage. Oh, See what I did there? There it's we the go. Fourth. The fourth is the formal. So last week we talked about the concrete operational stage. That's where kiddos, seven to 12, logical thinking, concrete objects, they're p- piecing things together, but it's still really concrete and linear. Mm-hmm. This is the last stage. So this is age like 11 or 12 on down the line until adulthood. And it's all about uh, seeing the gray areas more abstractly, being able to think through those things, and just being able to grasp these bigger, heavier concepts that continue to plague us into adulthood. So, okay, so this is where, like, this is where it gets real. Yeah. And if you think about, you know, when you were a teenager and all of this angsty emotional stuff going on and all of these big things you wrestle through, it's really, it's a really rough time. Yeah. It's kind of the, the final growing pains of getting your brain what it needs to be able to do to survive as an adult and functional human in society. Or not. (laughs) Or not. Right. This is is your last chance. (laughs) The stakes are high. The stakes are so high. Okay. So the way I really think about this working is when we talked about the concrete operational stage, again, which is 7 to 12, kids are really still thinking very linearly, if that's a word. Everything's kind of cause and effect, you know. Linear. It's linear thinking. Linear. Linearly. I turned it into an adverb, damn it. I'm allowed to do that. Okay, I just wanted to make sure I understood the root word. I'm sorry. Linear thinking. Linear thinking. Okay. There it is. Cause effect, cause effect. It's like from here to there, right? When they get into the formal operational stage, imagine that line turns into a spider web because now they can imagine all the different possible things that could happen. So what age does this start at? Usually like 11 or 12 is when it starts and it's going to continue. It's going to continue pretty much indefinitely, you know, because we don't want to we don't want to be able to lose this, you know, so it's not like you turn 20 and it stops. So you're still but but this is where you begin to kind of wrestle through a lot of this stuff and begin to formalize a lot of these patterns of thinking. So we're talking middle school through high school. Yeah, I guess it is middle school. Yeah, I guess it is still middle school at that point. What's that? 12 is like, what, seventh grade, I guess? Yeah, Yeah, it would be like seventh grade, I would guess. That's that's when it starts. Yeah, but I think really, you know, the meat of it is going to be like, you know, high school is really, I think, the 
the okay and we'll get into it we'll dig in we'll dig in okay so we talked about the spider web and you know a big part of that is the other thing is perspective taking again i think one of the things we talked about was like hey my grandma i understand my grandma has feelings but i've never really thought about my grandma's childhood and how different it must have been from my childhood now you're able to do that you're able to imagine these things that you used to not be able to understand and so with that new I guess, depth and breadth of perspective taking, that's where a lot of these different possibilities can come from when you're imagining. So, you know, again, you think about like bad guys and good guys and even like superheroes, you know, you can begin to sympathize with villains and understand why villains are the way they are and the choices and the experiences that led them to be the bad guys. Whereas before you just kind of wrote them off like, oh, that's a bad guy. I don't like him. But now you can begin to sympathize with the bad guy if that makes sense no that makes sense i can see that i mean marvel is just helping everybody through this, <laughs> this phase That's right. That's we, right we get it now <laughs> we we understand they were tormented they were that's a good word and you're tormented as a teenager so you can relate to that <laughs> absolutely it's like wait a second i know how that feels so speaking of torment at this point kids have more complicated feelings that they can begin to wrestle through and understand things oh. like regret you really don't experience regret you may feel guilty or you may feel ashamed of something but being able to really have the ability to reflect upon your action and wish that you could take it back and you really regret doing that because you could imagine all these other possibilities had you not done that that's where this comes into play yeah and once that comes into play it doesn't ever leave. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't go away now that your brain has learned to do it despondence angst and those are like some of the heavy wow. negative feelings that's i know like full-fledged teenage <sighs> emotions it's so bad man it's so bad it's so emo it's where all the emo music came from. <laughs> it is teenage angst. But what else happens when you're a teenager? What other new emotion do you usually experience in those years? I mean, I would say like lusty love kind of stuff. Oh, yeah. You've got all the romantic feelings. All just the hormones and bubbling flying and, around. Oh, my gosh. Your brain is just lots of these things. And you think about that and what that does to your brain. And oh we've talked a gosh. lot about neurology and just imagine all of these synapses going everywhere and everything in your brain's beginning to talk to each other. And one of the main things that happens is the memory center of your brain, which I'm pretty sure is your hippocampus, starts to connect more to your prefrontal cortex where all of your executive thought and your reasoning takes place. So now you're able to remember things that have happened in the past and use that information in the future. And your brain is literally just like electrified when you're when you're in this stage. It's yeah. a lot. It's a lot of responsibility to handle all of that and also deal with high school. <laughs> it is. And and body odor and hair growing Ugh. in all these weird places and like, blood coming out of you once a month. And yeah. the embarrassment is so strong in this in this phase. Oh Whatever is happening. I mean, oh my goodness. And then like also like, hey kids, while you're doing all of that, come up with a plan for the rest of your life. 
Mark. Yes. Yes. We're going to get to that part because that's Make fun. it good. Make it good. <laughs> make it a good one. You need to make lots of money, but don't spend too much on college or you'll like, be broke. I'm still feeling guilty from that thing that I said to so-and-so in the hallway <laughs> three weeks ago. And that cute boy looked at me. <laughs> oh, gosh. The flashbacks. Ah! <laughs> yeah. I think I think one of the main things we could do is just try to have some some grace for these kiddos because it is a lot to go through. But thinking again about the brain and neural highways that are being built everywhere. And we talked about the the myelination, your myelian sheaths. Oh, the, the here fatty she goes again. Layer. I know. There I go with my my damn neurology. It, all these things are happening. And as you're building all of these new pathways in your brain, which you're always doing, there's a lot of different ways to break down what's happening from a, a thinking standpoint. So let's look at all these different types of thinking. These are new ways of thinking that you achieve in the formal operational stage. Okay. Okay. And you're going to like all of these. Okay. So the first one is called <laughs> hypothetical deductive reasoning. Stop which sounds it. Like, sounds like Stop a word it. you would say. Hypothetical. Hypothetico. And it's hypothetico, not hypothetical. Hypothetico deductive reasoning. A hypothetico yes. sounds like a Marvel villain. Yeah. I He's mean, Piaget is just not going to rest until he annoys <laughs> my last little piece. Here's here's what it is. This is being able to think scientifically and generate predictions, hypotheses, and answering questions. And it's really about the way that you approach problems. So typically, someone in the formal operational stage is going to spend more time on the front end thinking through something, whereas a child in the concrete operational stage is going to experiment with trial and error. Like they're going to do it and then learn from their mistake. But this second stage, this later formal operational stage, they're going to put more thought into what could happen, what are the all the outcomes, what are the likelihoods of these outcomes, and what could happen kind of based on the inputs. So one of the things that you mentioned was, what, what am I going to do after school? You know, maybe do I want to go to college? Do I want to go to a technical college? What job do I want to have? What major do I want to have in college? And you can begin to imagine all of the different outputs of that. You know, maybe I like two different boys. And if I date this one, this could happen. But if I date that one, this could happen. You, you start to weigh all of these options and spend a lot more time weighing the options. Whereas in the, the prior stage, you would have just kind of jumped into it and seen what happened and then moved on to the next. Yeah, this is a dangerous, this hypothetical thing is is dangerous. And mm -hmm. and if you're me, you're probably going to make the wrong choice. You I, think so? I would have thought you would have made good choices. I don't know, man. Mm. I mean, there were some choices. I made some choices. I don't know. <laughs> we're, he we're here. here. It's we, going here okay. We are. <laughs> we're hanging in there. <laughs> Okay, well, the next one is abstract thought. So again, in the prior stage, everything is concrete. It's very kind of in your face, real reality. With formal operationals, there's a lot more ideas and, and abstract thinking. So hypothetical, abstract concepts, even things they have yet to experience. And this is where, again, a lot of planning for the future comes into play because I, I haven't experienced these things yet, but I can imagine what they would be like. And this is how I want to put my plans together. And being able to understand more abstract concepts like justice, freedom, they don't need concrete examples of that. They can just understand. They could say that word and kind of know 
what it means. Whereas a seven or eight, nine, 10 year old, you may have to spell it out for them and show them exactly what it is. But at this age, it's I, I understand the concept of that. And one of the things I think is important with that is you start to wrestle with with things. You start to wrestle with heavy topics. And I remember, you know, when I was in high school, we we read a lot of books and a lot of different things where you really had to like wrestle through this stuff, you know, like I think about Les Mis, which I did not read in high school, but it's like, okay, yeah, this guy stole this bread to feed his starving family and it's against the law to steal the bread but also like he doesn't want his family to starve. So you can sympathize with that. So right. whereas in concrete operational, it's like, well, dude broke the law. Dude needs to go to jail. Right. And then it's like, well, right. what And it's you not do? that simple. <laughs> right. The gray areas I mentioned earlier. Okay. Scientific reasoning. This is number three. So this is kind of a drill down of the hypothetical deductive reasoning is is being able to make a hypothesis, test it out, analyze the results and use that moving forward. So in the industry, we call that continuous improvement. You, you, You say this is what it could be. Let's try it out. Let's turn around. Let's see if it worked. Kind of plan, do, check, act. Let's see if what we thought would happen really happened. If it did or didn't, let's kind of use that. information and go from there right obviously this doesn't apply to all situations you can't necessarily like (laughs) yeah (laughs) if you're trying to decide which boy to date as a teenage girl you can't scientifically test it because emotions are involved in that i mean work out well I did. I tested that out. I think I tested this out on every single boy in my high school that I was interested in. So, you know. Well, there if, must if have been were... a lot more people in your high school because if you test out one, then others are going to know about it and it can get complicated. <laughs> I did a lot of testing. Okay. <laughs> I was testing them all out. All right. Moving right along. Last stage is metacognition. Do you know what that oh, is? Oh, wow. That's real great. I love that, Piaget. That is it's so meta. Oh, my God. It's so meta. Metacognition is thinking about how you think. Yeah. Whoa. Mind blown emoji. This is when you get really, really stoned and you crawl up on the hood of the car. I was just going to say. And it's nighttime and you're looking at the stars and you're like, dude, I have can't. you ever thought about like how you think? Like, whoa. <laughs> it's very, very Cartesian. Well, I feel like I don't think I got to this phase until I was in college. At Bonnaroo, right? No, it was before that, or I wouldn't have ended up at Bonnaroo. But yeah, it was it was more college. I think I just feel like you live in you. We each of us live in our individual worlds, and they are how they are. So for mm-hmm. most of us, we accept that to be how it's supposed to be. And like I wasn't ever really. I didn't feel like I was able to step outside of that and think about why I thought or why thoughts were done the way they were (laughs) until I stepped out of all of it, if that makes any sense at all. No, it it does. And I think for me, it was kind of like 
college too did that. You know, that's when you kind of question things that you've been taught, the way that you've been taught them, and you kind of stretch outside of is what I really know to be true really true, or have I just right. been living under a rock, you know, in the hills of Tennessee for my whole life? Because that could be the case as well. Right. You know? Well, and I mean this this doesn't necessarily fit with people in this stage, but I, I just think it's an interesting from like a sociological standpoint. Mm -hmm. But what I notice, I have lived away from my hometown for a very long time. And when I go back to my hometown, many of the people who have never left still Mm -hmm. think like they thought when Mm -hmm. I lived there. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And so I do think that not everybody gets to the fourth phase. Is there any truth to that, according to Piaget? Actually, there have been some folks who have criticized him because of exactly what you just said. Really? Yes, yes. And there was a whole, and I didn't I didn't bring this article in. I'll, I'll have to find it and pull it up. But, but there were some articles, and of course, I mean, Piaget is like so old school. So people have had time to sit around and critique everything and disprove right. his, his theories and the tests and things that he did. But there was definitely a substantial amount of research that had been done that basically said some people never make it to this stage. Some people I just think never that make it. that's true. And they mm-hmm. probably still live in your hometown. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they might work for one of their parents in the family business. And they maybe haven't traveled very much. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't even have a specific yeah. person in mind. I'm just saying. Yeah. If you don't step outside of the normal yep. that you've always known, you're never going to be able to think outside of that. Oh, my God. But the normal that you've always known is like the angsty CD that I owned when I was a teenager. Like that was the emo album I was rocking out to. I'm much older than you. We had much better music. Well, you had the grunge. You had all the grunge mm, stuff. It was like Dave Matthews and Pearl Jam, the soundtrack to my And like Nirvana. Like Nirvana was made for this. Like, yeah, Yeah, and Pearl Jam. You're right. Yeah. That's Mm -hmm. probably the problem is those people that you're talking about they didn't listen to enough of that music to challenge they didn't but it, they, it, but it is that it's you have to challenge your own way of thinking so metacognition is thinking about how you think and then having the ability to reflect on your thinking and use that information to move forward i mean brain wise it's probably the pinnacle of like being able to have that amount of self-reflection and understanding mm-hmm. of why you are who you are and all of that kind of stuff but mm-hmm. like it's not necessarily productive in in any great way like you still got to figure out what the hell you're gonna do (laughs) you still need a job you can't sit around and just think about your thinking all day long (laughs) i mean people have tried it doesn't pay out it doesn't pay off very well they're called starving artists right yeah Uh and they may not be able to afford a car so yeah that's that's a thing too so here's what i want you to think about at this stage is thinking about ethical concepts philosophical concepts. Religion is huge. Mm -hmm. Questioning religion and questioning different facets of religion. We know any religion that you can pick up and study is full of hypocrisies and different things. And this is the age where you would want to dissect that and pick those apart and challenge those things. The other thing that kind of comes into play is like the understanding of personality. At this point Mm -hmm. in your life, your personality is getting kind of solidified and kind of locked in. So you may say, 
say, well, this is who I am, or I'm, I'm a Gryffindor at Hogwarts, or I'm an Enneagram 5, or I'm a ENFJ or whatever it is, you may begin to pick these things apart and, and assign these things to yourself. Uh, can you think of anything like when you were this age that you kind of picked apart like that? I think it was the moment where I realized that there are a lot of people in the world that are do as I say, not as I do. And to this day, I can't stand that. That is I not cannot, your thing. <laughs> I cannot stand that. It's like, you're either going to do it too, you're going to do as I do, mm-hmm. or you're not going to tell me to do it if you aren't doing it. That's not cool. Mm-hmm. And I still, I mean, I'm 42 years old and I still completely agree with that. Mm-hmm. So I got that one right. Okay, so here's an ethical dilemma for you that I remember we talked through in our philosophy class, because it's all, you know, you do these thought experiments. So this is a stylized ethical dilemma, and it's a scenario where there's a runaway trolley on a course, and it's going to collide and kill five people down one track, but there's a bystander who can intervene and divert the vehicle to kill one person on a different track. So basically, these people are going to die. You know, somebody's going to die. You're standing there at the switch, and you can either make the active conscious choice to save these five people, but you're intentionally killing one person or you can do nothing and let these five people die. That's the experiment. So are you going to pull the the thing and kill one person and make it like an active conscious choice? Or are you going to just stand there, you know, and, and let the train just run over, just plow through these five people? I mean, to me, it feels like the smartest thing to do is sacrifice the one to keep the five. So I probably would want to do that. Like if you're asking it to me in a dilemma situation, if I'm there (laughs) and it's like in the actual moment, I'm going to be like, oh, shit. And I don't want to have anything to do with this. So probably five people are dying. That's tough. That's the thing. Yeah. These are the things you get to wrestle with when you're a teenager. (laughs) With a teenage brain. (laughs) Oh, man. Okay. So aside from the trolley thought experiment, what can we do to foster development of teenagers' cognitive performance and help them with this stage and kind of wrestling through all of these things? How do we help these humans that don't want us to look at them? (laughs) That hate us. Okay. (laughs) The first thing that's actually really good during this stage, uh, and again, something for you, opportunities for debate and discussion. And see, I'm non-confrontational, so I want no part of that. But you will get, you will jump feet first into a debate and and start debating. Not a confrontation. I will debate. I don't like to call people out necessarily in like that exact manner. Yeah. But see, for me, a debate feels confrontational. So it's like, I just want to, I'll just be the bystander by the switch. Maybe I'll jump in front of the trolley instead of getting into this. But that's not going to save anybody. (laughs) 
I would say that during this phase, when I was in this phase, I was mm-hmm. very confrontational. I had no problem calling people I out. I could see that. I could see yeah. that all day long. Okay, another thing that you could do is experiments and real-world applications. So, again, testing out some of these things, your thought experiments, and then maybe don't go and kill five people with a Mm-mm. train. Don't, don't do that. But learning to apply some of the things that they have thought about and apply them in in real life. I really like this third one. And this is guidance and self-reflection. I think that is so important. When when we learn how to reflect, it can be a really good thing. It can also be kind of a dangerous thing because, you know, reflection can very easily turn into overthinking and, you know, self-deprecation and some of these other things as well. So guidance and how to reflect properly and productively and positively is, I think, very important to, to work with kiddos on. And then having those moral and ethical discussions and being able to talk through some of these things, you know, especially when it pertains to values, possibly religion, if that's important to you as, as a parent, working with your child through some of these discussions and not shutting them down, but giving them space to explore. They're doing exactly what they're supposed to do. So don't shut them down. This is actually right. helping their brain. It's helping them grow. It's helping them solidify who they are. And if you don't give them the space to experiment with some of that, then it's actually going to be a detriment to their development. We've known people who have come through that. Yeah. Where they haven't been given space to do things. Yep. And then it's just group think and and brainwashed. And and that's not that's not what we want. So well, and then they end up being very lost and confused 30 something year olds. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. With without that foundation, so they need to exercise in these these spaces, and they need to be given that autonomy and some freedom to do that. It, it goes back, you know, a while back we talked about um, identity and exploration, and there has to be a really good balance there of committing to an identity, but also being willing to explore those identities. So that's really what it's all about: is giving them that space for for exploration and helping them muddle through these angsty, hypothetical, deductive, abstract concepts. And that, my love, is the formal operational stage. Farewell to Piaget. It's been nice knowing you, bud. It smells like teen spirit in here, but it looks like you have a spotlight. I do. I actually inadvertently ended up with a double spotlight today, but we'll get to it. Double spotlight. Okay. Our main spotlight for this episode is the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases, or NFID. I okay. actually used them. They were the ones that did that study that I was talking about, how people are oh. going to get. Yeah. Their website is nfid.org. They were founded in 1973. The National Foundation for Infectious Diseases is dedicated to educating and engaging the public, communities, and healthcare professionals about infectious diseases across the lifespan. They have some really interesting research, but Mm -hmm. while I was there, Mm -hmm. I found, you know, all of these charities that we highlight, or most of them, have a place where you can click on 
would you like to donate or ways to contribute? And I always kind of click on it because I always make sure these places are legit and it's a real charity and all of that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I clicked on how can I contribute on NFID's website and Mm -hmm. I came across this thing called Giant Microbes. It's called giantmicrobes.com. So that is giant, M-I-C-R-O-B-E-S.com. What this is, is a website that has created Mm -hmm. a huge number Uh of educational plushies. What? They're like little stuffed animals. What? You can get the flu virus, you can get hepatitis, you can get HPV, (laughs) you can can get a box set of the plagues from history. They Uh, have uh, polio, they have RSV. What? There's there's different organs, like you can get like all the different organs in the human body. (laughs) You could get a uh, osteocyte, which is a bone cell. And they're all like, they all look like what they look like. What in the world? Oh my gosh. They also have a (laughs) mental health series. So you can get anxiety, you could get depression. (laughs) You are kidding me. I'm not kidding you. Okay, I have. I'm looking this up because I did not believe that this was real. But these things are real. E. coli's on here, and it looks like a skeleton jellyfish. What in the world? Okay, so the person or whoever started this giant microbes (laughs) site, giantmicrobes.com, they actually donate (laughs) a portion of their profits to a charity that coincides with what you're buying. Oh my god. So if you get the flu or something like that, another infectious disease, they actually give money to the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases. If you get something from the mental health line, it goes to NAMI. Oh, my goodness. I just thought it was really cool. Okay. I want all of them. Melanie. Uh, Melanie. Okay. They have the set that you talked about because I'm like, there's no way they have this. The box set of plagues? No. This is a box set of STDs. Yes. So it's yes. herpes, chlamydia, gonorrhea, HPV, and syphilis. But guess what the box is called? What? Tainted love. Oh. <laughs> it's the tainted love gift set. See? Oh my you see what, gosh. You see why I had to add it. I was just like, this- oh my gosh. Well, I know what I'm getting you for Christmas. Oh, well, I hope you make it good, but I really don't want the Tainted Love set. There's so many better ones. That, again, is giantmicrobes.com. I just got distracted on, but it's amazing. Y'all check it out. And our main spotlight, again, is the National Foundation for Infectious Diseases, which is nfid.org. If you like what you hear from us, be sure to follow our show. And if you really like us, you can leave us a review on the podcast platform of your choice. We want to be friends with you. Connect with us on social media by following at Mother Mayhem Podcast or email us directly at mothermayhempodcast at gmail.com.